¡Órale! ¡Sí, señor! Bienvenidos and welcome to the Familia FFP Podcast. I'm Jorge Georgi Martín and Primo Hector in the house. Hector Reyes, ¿cómo estamos, baby? What's up? What's up, y'all? Doing well, doing well. It's almost, a, it's a big day today. It's a big day today and we're going to get into that in a second. But for first, make sure all you are following us on Twitter at Familia FFP as well as Instagram. And you can find Hector at... What the heck? Two T's. Yeah, you can find me at Jorge Martin 17 and Ricky Torres having uh, computer issues. Uh, you can find him at Ricky Torres TV. So, and don't forget the other places, uh, you know, especially our original content at FamiliaFB.com. So, you know, Primo, uh, this is this this episode is coming out on April 9. It's opening day for the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. It's uh, they got they get to play in front of fans for the first time Finally, as world champions. Geez. All the great new renovations at Dodger Stadium. Uh, I can't wait to, I can't wait to go check them all out. The the one thing that stands out to me is now fans have a 360 degree availability to, to walk around the entire stadium. There's a I guess like a like a rotunda or a a, a breezeway as it were, or a, you know like a boardwalk I guess that that circles the entire stadium. So if you're you know if you have a seat you know on the third baseline, you can get up and walk around. You can walk behind left field pavilion, right field walk completely all around the stadium check it out check out the sight and sounds get you know get different beers at different uh, little bar areas there in the stadium oh. so that's really cool i thought that was really neat that they did that there's going to be a lot of places to not watch the game so, right <laughs> yes yes i i am going to have to get used to walking you know having the opportunity to walk in from center field it's just i i've seen it at other stadiums i mean i did that at uh, wrigley field never been able to do that at dodger stadium because it was always it was always uh, blocked off now it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting it's so yeah, and now fun. there's even like a standing room only kind of behind, like at the top of the pavilions like you there's like where you can just kind of hang out and you know hang at the bar and then you know turn around and you know you can get a little table there and watch the game from there so it's like i, I can't wait to go it's like exciting stuff it's it's gonna be so cool and i i'm just I, i'm so pumped and it's it's so great the players themselves they talked about the fact that uh how great it was for them to play in front of fans again back in back in the uh in nlcs and in the world series how it gave them an extra charge so uh i think you know even though it's not gonna be full i think it's gonna be plenty loud for them tomorrow it's gonna oh yeah and, you know, and speaking aloud, it's also a special anniversary of another time that Dodger Stadium was incredibly loud. 40 years ago, on the same day, April 9, 1981, Fernando Valenzuela made an emergency start on opening day. Uh, what do you mean you know, emergency uh, start? Oh, Explain. well, Jerry Royce, <laughs> Jerry Royce, who was the runner up in 1980 for the Cy Young Award, he pulled his calf during batting practice. Ooh. And so they went to, uh, they, they, they went, they went to go find Bert Hooten who was getting treatment because he was getting treatment for another injury that was going to keep him out the next day. So all of a sudden they're like, okay, well, you know what? Let's go to Fernando. Maybe for, you know, maybe Fernando, where's Fernando. It's like oh. Mikey with life cereal. Hey, let's get Mikey. He won't <laughs> let's get Fernando. No, nah, he won't yeah. start. <laughs> yeah, he's he's only 20 years old, but yeah, let's let's see what he's get let's see what he's got. He pitched so well at the end of the season. Where is he right now? He's throwing batting practice. So it's like get him the hell off the mound. And then what happens the next day? Throws a five-hit shutout at the Astros, who were the NLS champs the previous With year. With their oh, awesome uniforms, of yep. course. Oh, those, awesome uniforms. Yeah, some awesome of the uniforms. best, some of the best sports uniforms in the history of uniforms is those 1980s Houston Astros with like those stripes and 
that was magic. Oh, those were incredible. But they, but yeah. he, he beat them and he handed it to them. And I mean, I tell you what, I mean, you know, uh, you know, us, I mean, we got to see it lot, you know, we got to see it actually happen. And, uh, the, I mean, for me and for all, for all of us, I mean, we, we could see it, we could sense it at Familia get togethers, how people were talking about Fernando, how special it was, mm-hmm. what a great thing it was to have a, a, a Mexican, this kid, 20 years old, does not look like, you know, six, five, you know, two twenty. you know, cut like, you know, cut like he's steel. No, he just looked, he looked like the rest of us. And all he did was dominate dominate with that damn screw screwball you know that taught to him screwball like, god i'm oh, swinging oh that was beautiful that was <laughs> that beautiful. call from ben so many oh, oh my god screwball got him swinging that's like you know uh, that was awesome and all the time fernando with the screwball strike three just like they just couldn't hit it it, 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 not hit it. it was amazing. And, you know, to me, and, and I, and I wrote about this, uh, on the family F on our family FFB.com website, it's the cover story right now. So, uh, you know, if you haven't seen it, please, please read it. I I've take a read. It. It's, it is, it is fantastic. I, I just read it, George props to you, man. That was very well written, very well done. I, I really enjoyed reading that, man. So if you, Get out there, folks. Read that. Good stuff. Really, oh, really good stuff. People. But you know what? And it really, you know, I, I it's that all of that is, is something that's been been in me for more than forty years. I mean, just it, it's so funny just to have been, you know, a you know a young Latino at that point. And mm-hmm. you know, at that point, we didn't see a lot of people that looked like us in prominent situations. You know, maybe there was a boxer here and there that came up, but really, that was it. And to see Fernando coming up to the major leagues, Las Grandes Ligas, and to just shove it down the best hitters' throats. I mean, to me, it was spectacular. It was special, yeah, but it was, yeah. you know, it was a little bit of emotional. I mean, did, didn't it make it feel like just about anything was possible? Absolutely. I mean, I remember there was just, it was just different, you know, and I think you touched on it in the article that you wrote. It was just so different because, you know, growing up, I, you know, I grew up a Dodger fan. You know, I remember being five years old, six years old. I started playing T-ball at six, following the Dodgers. And I have some early memories of the Dodgers, you know, from, from you know, being six years old, seven years old. That was what, 1979, 1980. And my mom never cared about the Dodgers. You know, we, you know, me and my dad would watch the Dodgers. You know, my mom never cared about the Dodgers. But whenever Fernando pitched and the game was over, and Jaime Jarrín came out to interview Fernando, my mom would stop whatever she was doing to come and watch the interview with you know, <laughs> that, you know, that Fernando gave when the game was over and Vince Scully would be there and asking Fernando questions and Jaime Jarrín would translate and Fernando would, you know, he would say what he would say. And it was just this, this interview. And my mom was just tuned in because she was so intrigued by this Mexican kid that's, that's coming up and doing his thing, you know, that, you know, that, 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 the story, you know, like the common story, the common thread, you know, in, in so many places, not just LA, but in so many parts of America and the world, just like, you know, you come from Mexico, you try to make it. And here's this kid doing 20 years old and he's just blowing the doors off the, you know, the major league baseball. So it was really cool to see. And, and, and like you said, it's just, this the, the, everything just changed. Our parents got involved our family members that never cared about baseball. All of a sudden we're talking about baseball and the radio was always on. You'd go to the park on a Sunday, have a barbecue and there was the radio. It was, and everybody was listening to the radio, listening to Vin, call the Dodger game at the park on a Sunday afternoon. It's just yeah. different, man. Everything changed. Everything changed. The scene. And, and sometimes we had Jaime on, Jaime yep, Harin, yep, and yeah. Jaime, Jaime told me, and he said it many times, no one 
created more baseball fans than Fernando Valenzuela. And, 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 you know, one of the things I didn't put it in the article, but, but Jaime told me, told me about the time that, you know, Fernando got invited to the white house, the freaking white house to meet. And, and he said, there was a line of people, po politicians, some of the most powerful men in the world to meet, to meet him and to meet Fernando, this 20 year old kid from Mexico <laughs> who was living in a dirt floor house a couple years, uh, a couple years ago, these men, some of the most powerful men in the world are waiting to get an art autograph with him. Nice. And I just was, and, and he said, and, and, you know, he was there to meet with both Ronald Reagan and the president of Mexico, Jose Lopez Portillo. I mean, it just, I mean, just extraordinary. That's to think wild. That. You know, and Jaime, Jaime himself, he credits the fact, he credits Fernando because he was his interpreter during the, you know, for, for all those interviews, which was crazy. I mean, just the number of people who were, you know, the craziness that was, that was in front yes, of him. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and Jaime really just kind of handled it for him. And just kind of synthesize things, and it, it just I, I you know I give I give Jaime major props, uh, Fernando major props because he never did anything wrong. Remember, he they he was never caught in a scandal. He did everything right. He lived a clean. He knew he had to live a clean life, and to sure. do and and to do the do it right. I mean, Bobby Castillo but, would tell me, uh, Bobo so they, Castillo, Bobo, <laughs> the late Bobby Castillo. Rest in peace, Bobo. Uh, yeah. he, he told me that uh, they couldn't go out because they couldn't go out with him because it, it was it was just a crush of people if he went out there. It was like the Beatles and just one right, for right, just one right. person. No, so, for sure. For sure. Local. Yeah, I, I cut you off, baby. I cut you off. Go for no, it. No, no, no. You're good. I, I was going to also add to that. I remember that you know the T-shirts. You know all the all, you know, all the all, you know, the women. It was like the first time that you actually saw women like rock. You know, this is 81, 82, and women were rocking. You know, the El Toro Fernando T-shirts. You know, before that, you know, you really didn't. You know, the, you know the guys wore. You know, again, different time. Forty years ago, you rarely saw women like rocking the jerseys and stuff. But they had. I remember. The women had these El Toro T-shirts on, like they're all over the stadium. It was pretty, pretty cool to see, man. Does it change? Like I said, just changed the game. A lot of them were homemade too. Yeah. Most of them were yeah. homemade, you know, but yeah. with the press, with the iron-on letters and everything like that. <laughs> I mean, it just, and you know, and and Jaime would say, you know, people would be like selling memorabilia in the stands, and mm -hmm. you know, and that the people would set up like little taco stands right at the entrance to the stadium. I mean, he just he could not believe it. It was it was truly amazing, and yeah. you know, good and, times. And Jaime pointed out to me uh, at one point that you know, in 1980. Only eight percent of the fans that came to Dodger Stadium were were Latino. Now wow. it's now it's fifty fifty, wow. and so you know you think this guy had something to do with it. So no uh, man, eighty one too. Eighty one has a special place in my heart too. I was eight years old, and I I lost my mind. You know when you're eight years old, I mean you know eighty eight was different because I was I was like you know fifteen. You know you're, you're kind of older and you kind of know how the world works. But when you're eight years old, it's just like, these are gods to you. Dodgers, the Dodgers were gods to me. Like being in Dodger Stadium was like Disneyland to me, just like, you know, times 10. Like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm, the, I'm in the same place with the Dodgers. There's Garvey, there's Say, there's Russell, there's Lopes. Like there's Kenny Landro, there's Pedro Guerrero, Dusty Baker. These are my idols, like all of them. And they're all there. And just being there and they, and they won the World Series. I remember like jumping on the sofa and losing my mind. So 81 for me is like, it was a really special year. So yeah, knowing that it's 40 years since Fernando Mania, that's, it was really, really cool. 
And you mentioned gods. I mean, my, uh, you know, you know how big a Dodger fan my mom is, and we've talked about this. <laughs> but that was the time that that was the very first time that my mom would set would light a veladora for the for the Dodgers, and she would always light it for Fernando when he pitched. And then Bellador. she just That's then right. she would, then she started to do it for every game. So. <laughs> And 40 years later, that's a lot of candles, right? <laughs> oh, that's a lot of candles. And uh, and hey, you know what? what? What was the interesting thing about game six of the World Series last year? Winning pitcher, Victor Gonzalez. The number? Win, the, the number 81 mm-hmm. in honor of Fernando's rookie year. That's awesome. And then the and the closer that day, throwing two point two and a third uh, perfect innings, Julio Urias, Urias, wearing number seven. Where if you add Fernando's three and four from his thirty four, number seven. So Numerology. both both from Mexico, uh, lefties, just amazing, little, uh, just amazing. Little, little homage there. Yeah. So Fernando, otra vez, gracias, gracias por enseñarnos el camino, Fernando. Thank you so much for showing us the way. I mean, primo, uh, primo I, I, yes. Oh. We could go. We could do the whole episode on Fernando, but I know we really we could. But this <laughs> yeah. this episode is very much inspired by Fernando. Yes, as, as forty years see. ago. Yes, sir. As you'll see. That, right? But uh, you know, let's get into one big piece of cheese, man. Cheese man. So Sam Darnold traded to the Panthers. The Jets get three picks, with the highest being a number two in twenty twenty two. I think they. I, I think the Panthers stole Darnold. If oh yeah, if they can unlock him, if they can unlock yes. him, because he was pretty bad last year. He was not good. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as, as we look back the last couple of years, we see, you know, the, the quarterback does well or, or the quarterback performs, I think, uh, you know, in many ways based on the coach that he has. I mean, Tom Brady is obviously an anomaly. He'll, he'll do well no matter who's the coach. But you remember with Jared Goff and Jeff Fisher. I mean, people were saying Jared Goff should almost retire because he looks so horrible under Jeff Fisher. And then the next year, he goes to the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> so, yep. I mean, I mean, I mean, so yeah. So understand. I think Sam Darnold just, you know, he's just been in the wrong system on the wrong team with the wrong players. You know, he was, he was, you know, he was one of the top picks back when he was drafted. Where was he drafted? Uh, Number three in 2018. Exactly. Exactly. So, so there was a reason, right? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. Sam Darnold still has a lot in the tank. He has a lot to show. I think the guy's talented. I think he will do a lot better obviously under the Panther, you know, in, in the Panther offense. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And, you know, we'll have to wait and see how this uh, impacts his receiving core, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, obviously CMC. What, what do you think? How do you think that this uh, impacts those guys? Well, you know, the interesting part is Robbie Anderson was, was with them two years ago with the Jets. Oh, so, that's right. Oh, dang. Yeah, don't oh, forget you know that. My, put that little checkmark star highlighter note on your on your draft board, folks. Because, yeah. yeah, I remember, yes. You just reminded me that Robbie Anderson, he was, I had him on my, yeah. on my roster a couple of years back and he did well. And he's been doing, he's been doing really well, you know, the last couple, last couple of seasons here. Um, yeah, I, I think this really, really bodes well for Robbie Anderson. You know, these guys are getting back together. There's camaraderie there. There's history there. You know, I think uh, I think these guys these are going to click from from day one. They're going to click again, and I think this gives Robbie Anderson the, the clear cut advantage over DJ Moore. Yeah, Robbie Anderson. I mean, he was he was decent. You know, he had 52 catches for 779 yards and five touchdowns, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of pedestrian. But that was also the year that that uh, Darnold missed some time because of mono, and then he just right. had yes. All, he just was. I, I feel like that was kind of like the beginning of his, uh, you know, kind of down period. But I, I just. 
I keep thinking, I keep going back to the big thing about, about Darnold and, oh, and, and Anderson almost got 1100 yards last year. But mm-hmm. uh, for me, the big thing with Darnold is he's going to be 24 years old in you know, in June, in June, just a couple of weeks for you, Primo. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to write off a 24 year old who three years ago was the number three pick in the draft. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. And he's gotten crappy coaching. He has not had many weapons around him. Yep. Uh, He has not had a good offensive line around him. He's had a bad defense. So, (laughs) you know, so he's, he's had to, he's, he's had to drop back to pass and And run for his life and run for his life. So it's just like, you know, I just, I think it's not really a fair test. You know, it's kind of like, we really still don't know what Sam Darnold's capable of. If you put him in a, in a capable offense, you know what I mean? If you put him in a, in a, you know, even a, even an average offense, he's just been on, you know, the jets have just been bad. You know, they haven't even been average. So, you know, you at least put him on an average team, which I think the, you know, with, with, you know, the weapons that uh, the Panthers have, they're certainly not just an average team. I think they're slightly above, if not better than that. Um, or that or have been, um, I think, I think Donald, I think we're, we're about to see, you know, what he's capable of. And if, and if, if it's, a, you know, and if he doesn't show us, then at least we know, right. But I, I think he's, he's a lot better than what, you know, he has been kind of forced to show us with the jets. You know, the, for me, the thing, if I'm the Panthers, I try and use that, that they've got, they've got an early pick. I think it's, they've got the number eight pick. I use that pick on an offensive lineman. I try and build him, build him a house. He's already got two mm-hmm. good receivers out there. Mm-hmm. He's got an all-world running back in CMC, who we'll yes. talk about in a little bit. But yes. it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the opportunity that Brett Favre got, and he got traded, you know, right before he turned twenty-three, right before his second year. He got traded from the Falcons to the Packers, and he broke out in year two. Darnold is going into year four, mm-hmm. but I mean, is the, this could be the first time that he gets? you know, top ranked coaching, Joe Brady is considered a, you know, a quarter quarterback whisperer. And so maybe, and he's got weapons. If they could build a line around him, the defense, you know, remember last year they drafted all defense. So maybe if that defense yes. takes a little bit more of a one uh, extra year, year, yeah. year two breakout, year two breakout <laughs> a year. Yeah. A little more improvement on the defense. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about sure. him. I think I, um, uh, He's got a little, I don't know. He's not going to be drafted among the first 12. So he's not going to be no. a starter on a, on a, on a single QB, but you know, maybe he's your second QB or your third QB in a two, in a two Q in a super flex or two QB system. Mm-hmm. I would have no problem taking Sam Darnold at all. I mean, look at, look at, you know, again, I, I gave, you know, uh, I gave Jared Goff as an example. I mean, look at Ryan Tannehill, same idea. Like he was yeah. in Miami, you know, where he was like, you know, put out to pasture practically. You know, and remember who don't forget who his coach was in Miami. Who was it? Adam Gase. Ah, exactly. And who was his so, coach in the Jets? Who or who was Darnold's coach in the Jets? Senor Adam Gase. <laughs> exactly. So I think we were starting to see a trend here. You know, yep. this guy, this guy just kind of makes quarterbacks look horrible. So there you go. If if Adam Gase made Tannehill look bad and then he thrives over with the Titans, 
I, I think the same could be said potentially with Darnold. I mean, yeah, I, you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it makes sense. I want to see it because, you know, yes. he flashed so much potential. I mean, obviously we're all UCLA fans on this podcast, but uh, I loved watching him play at USC. Mm-hmm. I, I, he did remind me a little bit of Favre. Yeah. Maybe not as strong as arm, but you know, that playmaking ability that, 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 that wanting to fit the ball into tight windows and, and making plays. So I think he's, I, I, I'd love to see his accuracy improve. And uh, I'm, and a lot of what he needs to do to improve is what he's doing from the time that this trade happened, which was early, earlier this week until September. So I think he's, that gives him almost six months. And, and I'm sure he's been doing that work already with, you know, cause they've all got QB coaches. They've all got special training facilities that they work with. I think that happens with him here now. That 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 change has to happen because I think his his back is now against the wall, and yep. he needs to do that. Now, if you're if you're uh, Carolina, and one of those top five quarterbacks falls to you, what do you what do you do at that point? Or do you trade out of that pick and try and get more picks, and uh, you know maybe trade down a little bit? Yeah, I mean they're they're thinking about it. You know, they, obviously they're. You know they're gonna they're gonna you know review all their options, but um, I, I I mean if I was them I, I would probably just I mean I, I don't know that like you said I think you know bolster the offensive line or the defense they went heavy in the draft last year um, with, you know, with with drafting you know mostly defense if not all defense um, so yeah I I think you you give you give Donald some protection back there and I think I think good things are gonna happen. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he just kind of blows the doors off and, and pulls a Tannehill and just like, wow, man, this guy's really good. You know, just, just blows everything out of the water. Like, you, you know, no one, we, no one saw this coming kind of thing. Just like has like a phenomenal year. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tempering my expectation a little bit. I'm not going to probably draft him, you know, higher. Like I said, maybe a set, you know, I'd be happy with a second QB, you know, uh, you know, on, on my team, but I would not be surprised if he comes in, you know, like, you know, top, top 15 QB, top, 12 QB, you know, in, in the league next year, I wouldn't be surprised at all. If he does that, I mean, with the, it, it's because it's part, I mean, it, it shows that Adam Gase should be nowhere near an NFL. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, cause it's For just, sure. cause that's just, uh, yeah. That's, that's why Jeff crime. Fisher's not there anymore. That's why Jeff Fisher's not there, right? <laughs> I mean, Jeff Fisher, like, look, I mean, just the idea that he made Nick Foles look just like terrible, like just like an awful QB. And the next year the guy goes to the Super Bowl. So it's like, wow, you really are not good, <laughs> Jeff Fisher. So yeah, to your point, yeah, we'll see if Sam Darnold blows up next year. Adam Gates will likely hang, be hanging out with Jeff Fisher playing, you know, backgammon or something. Well, he's like the tight ends coach at Alabama now. So, oh, gotcha. uh, so l- go. let him stay down there. There you so, go, Alabama. <laughs> so, um, all right. So let's jump to the next section. So yeah. we got the Fernando talk. It kind of brought up a lot of th- thoughts of phenoms. Uh, you know, those players who just kind of break out early and, you know, some of them become hall of famers, uh, you know, some of them, you know, some don't sustain burn too quickly, but, you know, we picked players who are either in the hall of fame or on a hall of fame trajectory players from the past. And we comp them to players of the present. So we thought it'd be kind of fun to do that. Players who maybe, you know, maybe broke out at about the same way. And I'm starting out with Dan Marino, who uh, is, is my all-time favorite quarterback. 
So yeah. I, I, I've, I, I've, you know, being a fan since 1977. So uh, <laughs> I've gotten to see a lot quick of quick release. Dan Marino, man. I remember that guy oh. could just like, that guy should do like laser beams. Like, like his release was maybe the fastest that a quarterback could like, like physically possible. Like, man, and so like, one minute he's holding the ball. Next minute the ball's in the air. Like, well, how the heck did he throw it that quickly? Like, wow. And so effortless, so yeah. effortless the way he played. I mean, I, I got to, you know, it was kind of cool to, to do this exercise for, we picked six players from then and then comp them to players now. Dan, uh, you know, just, I looked at a little bit of video of all these guys. I mean, just, it was so fun looking at that. And uh, I mean, it was really, it really felt like with Marino and Bill Walsh on the West Coast offense, it really felt like that was the beginning of the modernization of the NFL with the court with the quarterbacks becoming the focal point. Because before then, up to that point, it was really run, 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 run. Uh, with the occasional quarterbacks doing great. I mean, Dan Fouts with the with San Diego Chargers definitely started started the revolution, you know, was a part of that beginning of the resolution. But Marino was the first 5,000 yard passer. I mean, just I mean, I remember that season. He just did whatever he wanted. So I, I look at I, I I started thinking about him and the thing the reason why I, I comp the player is because Marino came in as a rookie and started in uh, it was like week six or seven and he got he, you know he got tapped on the shoulder and he came in and he threw for three hundred plus yards and he never looked back threw for twenty two hundred yards in eleven games that first year and then threw for five thousand eighty four the next year so I started thinking about it I'm like who can we comp him to and I said well who's a quarterback who just blew up in his first game and Justin Herbert week two of this season um, just you know gets that emergency start. Uh, similar to Fernando. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, you know, Justin Herbert, you know, throws for 300 yards against the reigning world champion, uh, the Kansas city chiefs. And he didn't, he didn't look back. Uh, also great arm, also a great, great release. And he, uh, he had that penchant to throw, to be looking deep, looking deep, looking deep. I loved watching him play. Yep. Uh, what, what, what do you, what do you kind of think of, uh, what do you think of that one? Oh yeah, no, it's a it's a great comparison. I I I I'm right there, right there with you. I mean, Justin Herbert is is going to be. I mean, he's going to be something special. I mean, we saw. I mean, I couldn't believe you know the numbers that this guy was putting up last year, like 300 yards. Justin Herbert, 300 yards. Like it's like, man, I thought this guy was a rookie, right? Just slinging it, slinging it, slinging it, and just putting up these just amazing numbers just incredible so yes I'm, I'm right there with you it's it's it really is a great comparison um they're all they're built similarly Reno at 6'4 224 Herbert at 6'6 236 Herbert a little bit on the, on the bigger side but not by much but yes uh, I, I can't wait to see what Justin Herbert does in his career but I mean Marino just one of the all-time greats and of course when you talk about Marino you have to say of course Man, he just he couldn't get a ring, man. But God, if anyone oh. ever deserved one, God, Dan Reno deserved to have a ring. Because my God, the way that that guy slung the ball around was just like, it was, it was incredible. And lucky for me, you know, I was able to see him play, you know, many games as a kid growing up. You know, I, I uh, you know, he, you said he was a rookie in 83. You know, I, I started watching football a little bit later. You know, I was more entrenched in baseball. So I wasn't really... You know, I didn't really watch the NFL too much. I do remember, you know, NFL films, uh, you know, on Sunday nights, you know, the slow motion. Oh, that yeah. Kind of stuff. That was that's what kind of got me going. And IBM presents you make the calls. <laughs> so, so I, remember, I remember those commercials. So, that, so yeah, little by little, I, I kind of 
started following football and, and Marino was always on on Sundays, you know, Marino, he was the hot ticket. So when he was on, you know, the, those dolphin games, you know, I, I just kind of sit back, okay, let's see what this NFL is all about, you know, in, in, in the mid eighties, you know, and yes, I, I became a fan. So yeah, I, I and, and just as, you know, same with just with Justin Herbert, I'm becoming a fan of his as well. So I, I can't wait to see what these, what he, what he puts together, you know, for his career. I will say I got I got lucky. I actually got to see live when he broke the NFL record for most touchdowns in a career, touchdown passes in a career. Wow! Uh, you know, some friends of mine uh, who, who big Dolphin fans, uh, we bought up some tickets to see them in San Diego, uh, see him take on the Chargers. And first touchdown pass, it went to it, it was the it broke the record. We actually ended up on TV because we were like right right by the sideline. Uh, we're in the first row right by the sideline. So the ESPN cameras came up and put it, you know, put the cameras on us. So that was pretty cool. That's cool, that was man. Pretty cool. Well, no, yeah, yeah. T- tell us about your guy. Heck, this is a, this next well, one's yours. So, so I, I had DK Metcalf on my team last year and I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I've been following him uh, the last couple of years and the guy is just, you know, when people talk about DK Metcalf with, you know, DK Metcalf, you know, one of the first, you know, comparisons, they do compare him to LeBron James, which I think they called him baby LeBron. And he wasn't very happy about that. I think it came out last year, like someone threw it on Twitter or something. Uh, I think LeBron did actually <laughs> himself. He put like, <laughs> Hey, baby LeBron. DK's like, nah, man, I'm DK Metcalf. Um, but yes, you know, you know, game recognized game. LeBron's like, Hey man, respect your game. I think you're awesome. And he is DK Metcalf. And I compare him to arguably the greatest nickname in the history of the NFL, Megatron. Oh, I mean, yeah, Calvin, Calvin Johnson, he played, you know, in the NFL for nine years. And, you know, and if you know fantasy football, you know, Calvin Johnson. I mean, he came into the league, you know, he came out of Georgia Tech, you know, first season, you know, 756 yards receiving four TDs. But year two, you knew who Calvin Johnson was. 1,331 yards receiving, 12 TDs led the league. You know, and after that, for the remainder of his career, uh, in every full season, or at least when he played 14 games, he never got less than a thousand yards receiving 2010, 11, 20, 2011 led the league with 1,681 yards, led the league again in 2012 with 1,964 yards, just shy of 2000. Uh, you know, that year he had, um, 16 TDs as well. So, uh, it, it just amazing. Just, you know, Megatron, you know, it, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. I know Victor, my brother, was, you know, he's, he's a big time Lions fan. So we were always watching Lions games. So I, I was always watching Megatron and just, you know, just the guy was just a beast. 6'5", 237. He got that nickname because, you know, a, a physical specimen like him, as big as he was to be as fast as he was and to have the hands that he had, you just, you just hadn't really seen that before. You know, there are certain players that come along that kind of change the game. And, and I think Calvin Johnson was one of those guys that we just hadn't seen someone as nimble as him at his size. And now I think, I think a, a fair comparison is my man, DK Metcalf, you know, year two Megatron, like I said, 2008, 1331 and 12 TDs, DK Metcalf, 1303 yards, 10 TDs, very similar year. Built very much the same DK Metcalf at 6'4", 229, Megatron at 6'5", 237. So they're almost the same, you know, both of these guys are built pretty much the same. They're like carbon copies of each other. So based on that, I'm just, I just can't wait to see, you know, we talk about Kyle Pitts, you know, that'll be in a future episode. <laughs> Another guy yes. that's, you know, coming, coming down the pike that uh, we'll be talking about on future, you know, uh, draft uh, preview episodes and stuff. So, uh, you know, coming out of Florida, Kyle Pitts. So we'll, we'll be, we'll be talking about him a little bit. Another receiver to come along with that rare, 
combo of uh, you know speed and size and hands. So, uh, but yes, Calvin Johnson, DK Metcalf, that's my comparison. So, and and it's so apt. I mean, you look both of them. I mean, they are just physical specimens. Just absolute yep. physical specimens and i, I just i love I, I loved watching calvin johnson was one of my favorite players and dk metcalf has become one of my favorite players i love those big guys mm-hmm. who can run and 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 you know what they were both very underrated when it came to you know you know make making running good routes making the making the contested catches i mean they were bad dudes even no matter what i think dk metcalf has a huge career in front of him i don't care what's happening with you know how much the the Seahawks say they're going to run. They are going to throw, and I'd love to see DK Metcalf get 150 targets because then I know he'll get 100 100 receptions, and it'll go crazy. Right, week. it'll be amazing. Yep. yep, you know, and you know, and I, I keep you know Met, uh, Johnson Megatron. You know, he set the NFL record for 1,964 receiving yards in 2012. That was his best year. Just right. phenomenal. Crazy. Phenomenal. Crazy. I, I, I'd love to see. I mean, with 17 games, I'd love to see a 2,000-yard receiver. Maybe Metcalf will be that guy. Maybe Metcalf Maybe. will be that guy. <laughs> My money's on Metcalf for sure. We got Russell Wilson throwing him the ball, man. Watch out. Yeah, hopefully he's. Yeah, hopefully they throw enough. I think they will. I think they will. I think a lot of this is smoke screens. They're going to use them. So for uh, sure. So the next guy is Ricky's guy, and it's definitely one of Ricky's guys. LT Ladanian Tomlinson, you know. And I, I was sitting there thinking, okay, who's a good? And I thought, you know what? Run CMC Christian McCaffrey. Totally, it was just, totally. They very similar builds. Ladanian Thompson 5'10", 215. CMC five eleven two oh five. Both great receiving backs. You know CMC had hundred receptions a couple of times with his best year in twenty nineteen being one hundred sixteen receptions, both a thousand yards rushing and receiving. Ladanian Tomlinson had what was arguably the greatest running back season ever. In 2006, he had 1,815 yards with 28 rushing touchdowns, just rushing touchdowns. That's then insane. He, then he had that's three more just... receiving. I mean, he was just automatic. I mean, that's two almost two touchdowns a game, Primo. That's that is, crazy. Eso es loco, 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 loco <laughs> la cabeza. That is but wild. Th- and that, but that was after he already broke out with 1,236 yards as a rookie, you know, in 2001. So, uh, you know, it's – uh, so much similarity, both great running between the tackles for co- what's considered to be small guys and just great catching the passes out of the, out of the mm-hmm. backfield. Just love watching both of them play. I mean, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm sorry we couldn't uh, hear Primo Ricky kind of, you know, salivating over LT Ooh, one more time. over LT. <laughs> uh, uh, any other thoughts? On, what, what, the, what are the thoughts that you have on these guys? I, I mean, I, I, again, I, I mean, you, 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 you've hit, you've hit it all. I mean, both of these guys are just, you know, just perennial just superstars, you know, LT d- did his thing. I mean, I, I'm still just like, I never, I didn't even realize until you posted it up here, 31 TDs. I mean, 28 rushing. What is that? But the crazy part is, is that if CMC did it, you'd be like, okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, right? exactly. You know, so, so yes, great comparison. Absolutely. Awesome. I can't think of anyone else that could do tw- that would, that, that, that wouldn't be a shocker to do 28, but if anyone can do it, CMC can do it for sure. I, you know, I mean, of the guys that are out there right now, I, I just, I don't, I, ugh, you know, maybe Dalvin Cook, um, but yeah, I just don't, I, I, 
no cmc i want to see cmc do it this year and live up to the lift of the first round so the next one you know originally i was going to put eric dickerson in there but we were really heavy on running backs so i switched it out switched it up a little bit to uh the moss man randy moss mr mossum uh you know one of the all-time great rookie seasons you know goes for 69 receptions 1313 yards and 17 touchdowns 17 as a rookie a rookie that's yeah and so that's you know that's 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 guys in their prime don't even do that no (laughs) he was a rookie and he was a rookie and he wasn't even considered and he and and i looked at his numbers he didn't even start he wasn't considered a starter for every game because that was the chris carter team and chris carter had a big season for the you know for them but you know so i started to think who is you know because not a lot of receivers break out right from the start and who is a receiver who did that and i was like well the same guy the guy on his same, same team, team. <laughs> you know, and actually what's funny is when he, uh, you know, he wore 84, uh, and, uh, Justin Jefferson has an eight in his, he's number 18, Justin Jefferson, you know, he's a little bit shorter. He's about three inches shorter at six, mm-hmm. Moss is six, four, but 88 receptions. I got 125 targets, 1400 yards sets the NFL record. He got seven touchdowns, but he's still, an explosive, explosive player, great route runner, yep, both yep. catching balls over defenders. I mean, it, it just so much fun watching both. It was so much fun watching Jefferson just torch the league right off the bat. Yep. Yep. And there's more with that. I mean, again, as a rookie, so that's, you know, you can't wait to see what this guy has to offer, you know, in, in the future. Cause man, I mean, we just talked about the, the whole rookie class. You know, there, there were several, you know, great rookie receivers this year. So, you know, year two, if we talk about year two breakouts, these these guys that had incredible rookie seasons are going to have breakouts in year two. Oh, my God, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> no, it's it's incredible if he if he does, you know, anything more than what he did last year. Yes, I mean, yes. I'd, I'd be I'd be ex- excited to see him just replicate what he did last year. It, For it'd sure. be fun. Just For sure. Just do it again, Justin. That's do it. it. Again. Yeah, just yeah, do it again. Carbon copy. Let's go. Fourteen hundred and seven. Can't, you know, can't complain about that. That's, that's a solid year, no matter what year you are. Rookie, a, fourth year, sixth year, whatever. That's, that's a great, run, That's a running back type of season. Great number. So, yep. Yep. Oh man. Well, your next guy. Yeah. I loved, I, I loved the guy you picked for your, for your OG, OG guy. <laughs> and, yeah, man. And again, we'll go to the same team. We'll go, we'll go to the Tennessee Titans and, and, and Eddie George started out. So we'll go Eddie George com- comparison to uh, Derrick Henry. And Eddie George, you know, I, I, I was a fan of Eddie George. You know, he came out of uh, Ohio State, um, and he was drafted and went to the Houston Oilers. Yeah, you know, 1996. I mean, people are like, "Who?" Yeah, man, the Houston Oilers. Year one, he just burst on the scene. 1,368 yards rushing, eight touchdowns. I mean. Let's go down the list here. Year one, 1368 and 96, 97, 1399, 1294, 1304, 1509 yards in the year 2000. That was his his high. Uh, 403 rushes that year led the league and 14 touchdowns. In the year 2000 was his tops. I mean, the guy just came in. And if you remember watching Eddie George, his high stepping ways, the guy was just like, you, you know, he was... He was a guy that people were afraid to tackle. I mean, the guy was just like, he would steamroll over you and just like, he was just built like a tank. I mean, the guy was, you know, talking about, you know, his build, people talk about how gigantic Derrick Henry is. Look at the Cubs, Eddie George, 6'3", 235. 
Derrick Henry, 6'3", 247. Very similar. So, and, and Eddie George, like I said, he was coming in there high-stepping and like, you take a knee to the throat. Like, oh my God, like, watch out. You know, Eddie George is, you know, just barreling over folks, you know, with, with the Houston Oilers, then with, for one year, then Tennessee Titans. So the, the guy was just a beast, you know, best year in the year 2000, like I said, 14 TDs, two uh, touchdowns receiving. Uh, and then of course we compared to the Titan of today, Derrick Henry, which, you know, we don't really need to say what, you know, what Derrick Henry has done or what he can do, you know, his best year, 2020, 17 TDs. But again, a guy that, you know, DBs and safeties do not want to tackle Derrick Henry. I mean, they, you know, he's just punishing. He just runs, you know, up and downhill. And if you're in his way, he's not going to lose that battle. It, you know, he, it takes two, three, four guys to bring him down uh, much the same way as Eddie George. So if you have a chance, you know, go back to YouTube and watch some film on Eddie George Guy was a the guy was a beast. He was really fun to watch. Both these guys very similar, very similar games. Uh, I, I like this comparison. You mentioned punishing, mm-hmm. and and I think Derek and both of them, yeah, they they delivered hits, and that was that's what made those guys special to me. That yeah. that was fun about Eddie George. Eddie George used to talk about the battles that he uh, had with Ray Lewis when with Baltimore, and, <laughs> and it was just like. You hear the way these guys big talk dudes, about it. Big dudes, both of them, Bad big dudes. dudes. Major like car the crashes. Titan, the Clash of the Titans, eh? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is like a, you know, you know, uh, you know, this is Hulk fighting Thanos, you know. It's <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, and the thing is both and, and but they talked about they they talk about their battles George and Lewis. They talked about them as if they were boxers who had like dug deep in, you know, for 15 round fights where they just, you know, they, they both saw George Foreman, 15 rounder, like, yeah. Yeah, you know, th- the Thriller in Manila, Ali Frazier, those kind of things. Derrick Henry is the same kind. Of, he, he just de- he delivers as many hits as he gets. That's why mm-hmm. I think he's got a couple more years where he's going to be an elite runner. Oh, a elite. lot of years. I mean, yes. the guy, I mean, when the game's over, he's probably just like, you know, I don't even know if he has to sit in ice. The guy, he's the punisher. You know what I mean? He's the guy that's, you know, he's he's beating people up. He's not getting beat up. You know, he probably... You know, when the game's over, he puts his pads up. Okay, you know, let's go to dinner. <laughs> you know, like he's not even he's not even hurting. I, I would imagine. So, man, it's just just yeah, crazy. Well, uh, our last comp uh, it starts off with an OG guy who's still in the league, but I think he's been in the league long enough that we. Uh, you know, we, we, we can, we're kind of like, all right, it's, uh, you know, we, let's, let's consider him to be an OG guy. And see, yeah, exactly. Peterson. He is. Yeah. He's, you know, he's definitely an OG guy, even though he's still in the league, which I don't know how, I mean, he has bionic knees. So that, that's one way, but yes, it's amazing. <laughs> he, you know, and Ricky was talking about, you know, he had us put in the notes that he loved watching him at Oklahoma where he was just a beast just i mean he was a man among boys i mean whenever he was on the fight on the field he was the baddest man on the field and then he also kind of cringed whenever uh he had he had to watch adrian peterson just destroy the chargers just a phenomenal (laughs) runner i mean this, this is how much this guy is an alien he tore his acl in 2011 came back in 2012 10 years ago that's 10 years ago yeah 20, yeah, 2011, 10 years ago, came back in 2012, got, got 2,097 yards, which is only eight away from the number, the number one all time. And he's still playing today. He is still playing today. So wow. I, I sat wow. there and I was, I was thinking about the, that powerful running style, quick cuts, that great breakaway speed. And I was kind of like thinking about it. And I was like, 
Jonathan Taylor of the Colts. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, they're both, you know, heavy backs. Peterson's 220. He, he did it at 6'1". JT is 5'10", 226. Just a similar ball. Mm-hmm. But, you know, quick. I mean, JT, his his uh, time his time for the 40 was in the four threes. Uh, he had that big second half of the season where he was one of the best running backs in the league. Ended up with 1,169 yards. But both of them just, you know, powerful runners who, in the, you know, once they got to the second and third levels, they would ma- they would still make guys either make guys miss or break tackles on their way out. Just phenomenal, both phenomenal runners. Fitness, exactly, stick- make make you miss, yeah, make you miss running backs. You know, definitely. No. Just and, and you know both great right off the bat both thousand yard rushers right off the bat mm-hmm. uh, Taylor might be a little bit better uh, receiver if I were from that rookie class last year and, and this is considering the fact of the players who are on their on their team if I think about the those the those those guys and some talented runners on there I think Jonathan Taylor is the one who could get two thousand yards especially mm-hmm. in a seventeen game season. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to see a lot of records go down, uh, you know, across the board with a 17 game season. I don't know if you put an asterisk or what you do, <laughs> but, you know, one more full game. I mean, there's, that means more production. That means more yards, receiving and rushing and, you know, and passing. And, you know, all, every, everything's going to change. All the records are going to go down with the, with an extra, you know, with the extra game in the season. So that's just to be seen and, you know, who's going to do it and where and when. But yeah, 2000 yard rushing, definitely going to happen. Yeah, these days. Uh, these days. though I don't think he'd, even though he'll still be in the league, I don't think Adrian Peterson will be the guy to. Will be, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, he we'll may be, still be we'll in the be, league. He'll be in the league, but he, yeah, he won't be that guy. Not that anymore. But man, it was it was sure fun to watch him get two thousand. That was that was awesome. Yeah, that one was that that was, yeah one of the great seasons of all yep. time. One of the yep. absolute great seasons, and and it is still crazy to me that he was a rookie in two thousand seven. Jeez, I had hair back then. <laughs> You and me both, man. I, 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 I could actually use like a comb. <laughs> oh man. Oh well, well, primo, that was fun. That that yeah, was fun man. going down going down memory, memory lane, lane with man. with Heck Fernando yeah. and all the phenoms from the NFL days. Uh, but unfortunately, primo, it's just still for a show. For a show. Uh, thanks again to Anchor for being our hosting network and for making sure our independent podcast gets out to the Familia community. Uh, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and keep checking out our original content. Again, I, I uh, you know, I'll let Hector spew about the Fernando article. He's he's said enough. He's done yeah, a great man, sales job. Hey, get out there, read that article. That's some that is that's a gem, folks. That, that was get fun. That, get out there and read that. <laughs> well, follow make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Familia FFB. Hector, where do they find you on Twitter? What the heck two T's? Uh, and don't forget Ricky Tor- at Ricky Torres TV. You can find me at Jorge Martin17. And don't forget our Familia FFB Facebook page. Gracias otra vez, everybody. Enjoy opening day for the Dodgers. Cheer for the Dodgers. Vamos, Dodgers. Let's go, Dodgers. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and, and also remember, todos somos familia. Adiós, amigos. Salud.